0: Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you and reflective of the love you have for all of your children. In your name we pray, amen. At the church I attended as a child and a young adult, a Good Friday tradition that we had was to host a crosswalk for children and families. It was an opportunity for young kids to come to church and see the last week of Jesus' life acted out. From flipping tables in the temple to his trial to his death on the cross, children would be able to participate in the Last Supper with crackers and little Dixie cups of juice. They'd be able to wave palms around, but more likely whack their parents with them, in order to celebrate Jesus coming into Jerusalem. One of the scenes that was acted out was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. The story that we heard in our scripture today. Setting up for this scene on the morning of Good Friday was always fun, chaotic fun. The prep team would hurriedly run around the church collecting every plant, real or fake, that they could find and arrange them in a room of the church in order to imitate the foliage in the garden. And I'm pretty sure there were a couple of potted desk plants that went missing from offices around this time that were likely never returned. It was a delight to see the faces of the children as they entered this room. They would go wide-eyed in wonder at this forest that had seemingly appeared in their church by magic. They'd make their way through the crowd of leaves and papier-mâché boulders to find Jesus hidden at the center, hunched over in prayer. It was a delight to see just... The excitement, the hushed wonder. But this particular performance on this Good Friday that comes to my memory happened a few years ago. You'd see there was a young man, his name was Glenn, and he was playing Jesus. And I'd seen him do this Gethsemane scene twice already on this particular Good Friday. He prayed sweetly. He knew all of his lines and spoke with conviction. But in this final performance, I could tell that there was something different almost immediately. When we walked into the garden room, instead of seeing Glenn Jesus kneeling with his hands neatly folded and his face up toward the heavens, we found him strewn across a boulder face hidden and sniffling. As the group entered the room, the children who were usually giggly and playful were quiet and tentative, as if they could sense the strange vulnerability that was in this moment. Glenn Jesus shouted his prayer, filled with emotion and urgency, words almost blending together in their anguish. It was a breathtaking performance. I almost forgot that I was in my church surrounded by fake plants and not peering in on a distraught Jesus in the garden. When the children left the room to head to the next station, I walked up to Glenn, who was maintaining his hunched-over position. Wow, I breathed. That was amazing. He sniffled the dedication i thought and he asked is everyone gone i confirmed that the room was indeed empty and finally glenn sat up and my stomach dropped when i looked at him the lower half of his face was covered in blood apparently The reason behind his lying down and hiding his face and sniffling was because he had gotten a massive nosebleed moments before the children walked into the room and he didn't want to ruin the magic. Glenn was absolutely fine, for those of you who are worried. (laughs) He was able to get cleaned up and continue in his role as Jesus without any more problems. But what this accidental performance, it it really stuck with me. It transformed the way I envisioned this story. You see, I had always imagined Jesus in this narrative when he withdrew for a few moments of solitude and silence to be kind of peaceful. I think the image I had in my mind probably came from the Mark or Matthew versions of this story where Jesus seems to just take a little retreat to a pretty garden surrounded by olive trees with his friends to quietly pray while alone, while his friends snooze nearby. In those versions, there's almost this comical back and forth between Jesus and the disciples as he yells at them for continuously falling asleep and not keeping watch. As a child, I I never understood that, because who doesn't like naps? But I don't really remember this Luke version getting talked about too much. And I wonder if it isn't because of its rather intense and visceral nature. There's no comical back and forth between Jesus and the disciples here. Instead, Jesus falls to his knees in a deserted place. With no one but the ancient olive trees to hear his cries. He prays so hard and he is so distraught that he begins to sweat blood. And that's pretty strange, and it might make some squeamish people uncomfortable, but that little bit of text is meant to jar us. It's unexpected, just like it was unexpected for Glenn Jesus to surprise me with a blood-covered face. It almost makes your stomach drop and your heart skip a beat. But there are many times where Jesus has sought out solitude so that he might pray. He's used solitude for grieving before making important decisions. After his baptism, he wandered in the wilderness alone. To some, solitude is understood as an absence of human activity. And it would make sense that Jesus would frequently need these moments. He was so often surrounded by people who begged for healing while he was teaching or traveling with the disciples and their endless stream of questions and bickering. But these moments weren't just an escape from the chaos of human life. They weren't just a pleasant retreat. When Jesus chose to be alone and to practice solitude, he was practicing vulnerability. And These moments of vulnerability were an invitation to the divine presence, where he would seek out the wisdom and the word of God. When Jesus prayed, he communed with God in such a raw and honest way that could only make space for God to be heard — a space that was away from all the hustle and bustle of everyday living and responsibility, where God could meet our truth with divine love. Perhaps to an extent, we can understand that need. Our world is bursting with a constant stream of messages and demands letters that have to be opened, bills that have to be paid, family and friends that want or need things from us, commercials on TV, ads on our social media, homes that require constant maintenance, work, school. It's all—it's stressing me out talking about it, honestly. Of course, Jesus sought out solitude. He was bursting, just like we are bursting. <clears throat> bursting with feeling An emotion that has no place to be expressed in the crash of life. And yet, the crash of life looks a little bit different right now. To talk about solitude right now might feel like throwing salt on an angry wound. Solitude, for us, in this moment, might seem like a dirty word, one that we want to blot out of our vocabularies and dictionaries. In the midst of this, so far, year-long global pandemic, I've noticed that solitude might be experienced in two different ways. First, perhaps it seems like this unattainable thing. With every member of the household home all the time, it can often be a challenge to find a moment of quiet and peace. Getting away from all the human activity for some silence seems impossible. So why try? And there are others who might be feeling the impacts of a solitude they did not ask for, longing for that human activity, that real and physical connection with other human beings that aren't just faces on a screen. Either way, solitude seems like something painful or unachievable. It often makes us sit up and pay attention in a very unique way. I have for so long understood the practice of solitude as something that's quiet, and peaceful. But this scripture passage today tells us, it tells us something different. Sometimes the empty air feels alive, the stillness makes you shake, the silence offers you only truths that you might have not wanted revealed. Solitude exposes us to our vulnerability. In this scripture reading today, that's the kind of solitude that Jesus embraces. Solitude that invites vulnerability. You see, earlier that day, Jesus had been with his friends, breaking bread and celebrating the Passover. This was a special meal to everyone, but especially to Jesus, it was his goodbye. The last time that he would likely see all of his friends in the same room. And in that time, it was revealed that one of his closest friends would betray him in a way that would cause his death. This death that Jesus had known was coming. For years he'd been circling Jerusalem, preaching and teaching, on his slow march toward death and the cross. And now it was here. The moment he had known was coming for so long and he needed to be alone. Jesus went to Gethsemane Gethsemane to pray. He had withdrawn from his friends a ways. When he knew that he was truly alone, he threw himself down on the ground and began to sob out his prayers. Everything that he had been holding within him exploded out like a whirlwind No one could ever truly understand what he was going through. No matter how many times he alluded to his death, it was going to take them all by surprise. Jesus was alone in his sorrow and his grief. Jesus prayed to God so hard, and he was in such distress that he began to sweat blood. This emotion didn't just pour out of his mouth into the silence, but it poured from his spirit and ran down his face in red streaks. This was not some quiet, contemplative moment like my image of solitude that I've developed. This was heartbreak in its purest form. And Jesus, in all of that vulnerability, reached out to God, reached into the stillness and quiet of this solitary and lonely place, and God was there. God was there holding him in love. This season, we are exploring spiritual practices—fasting, reflecting, discerning, and solitude. For me, it's always been a season to be quiet and reflective and controlled—to appreciate Silence. But this year, the silence seems so harsh. While there is so much pain and hurt going on in our world, the silence hurts. The silence reveals our vulnerability. When everything else around us is silent and still, we can only turn inward to the most exposed parts of ourselves. The ones that speak only truth. The parts of us that burn with a need to be loved, to be comforted, to be seen. In those moments of solitude and stillness, what we are carrying inside need not be controlled any longer, but is given permission to explode out of us if need be. The mask that we might wear, one of strength or happiness or busyness, it all falls away, and the face that is hidden underneath is revealed. And there are no distractions, no voices filling the silence but our own and God's. Solitude is God's invitation to just be. Be who we are, feel what we feel and pray whatever is on our hearts to pray and to allow ourselves to be held. Solitude might not be the most popular spiritual practice this Lenten season. Silence might scare us. We might feel like we can't bring that stillness and peace into the practice because of the chaos of human activity that clings to us and refuses to let go. We might fear the solitude because we could find ourselves exposed and vulnerable, sweating blood as we unleash our anxieties in the presence of the divine. But God looks past the masks we wear to cover up our vulnerabilities. God always sees our true face. We were knit together by holy hands in the womb, and the Lord knows every hope and dream and longing of our hearts. God offers assurance that we are loved. That we are cherished and welcomed into God's presence. That we need not worry about being perfect, or holding it together, or having everything under control. When we choose solitude, as Jesus did in this moment of deep distress, we are free to be vulnerable, our truest and most honest selves. And God promises to hold us in love. Amen.